Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the Virtual Voyage, we were in Israel. And we had a special tour because we were joined by Dr. Jody Magnus, an archaeologist and professor who knows a thing or two about Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is where we were on location at last time. I mean, after all, she did write an award-winning book on the subject. Well, now we're back in our hostel in Jerusalem for the night, and wow, did we just have a delicious dinner. Falafel, the fried chickpea balls, shawarma, roasted meat, in a soft, warm pita bread pocket loaded with vegetables and sauces. And you can't forget the hummus. Israeli hummus is one of my favorite treats when I'm here. And of course, there is a selection of beverages to help us rehydrate after a day in the desert at the Dead Sea region. Water is always a good option. But when I was last here at this hostel with my siblings, they loved the drink station. That one right over there, I mean, it has a nostalgic old soda fountain look with the lever you'll pull down to get your water or juice to come out. But they didn't just love that. No, they loved the lemonade. It took my parents about a week to realize that it actually was lemonade. See, I have seven siblings, and when we're all traveling in Israel, the less sugar, the better. Let it be known, a bunch of sugar-high children in a tour bus for hours that does not end well. But the sign for that drink posted on the handle, well, it said lemon water. And so my parents are thinking, well, this is great. Let's let all the kids get lemon water. It's a nice dose of vitamin C, good for their immune systems, and everyone will be happy. It was only after a week of my siblings raving about the lemon water uh, that my parents actually ended up trying it and realized it had been mislabeled, probably just a translation error, lemonade mislabeled for lemon water. Uh, So needless to say, my parents checked uh, the drink the next time they saw a sign for cold lemon water at a restaurant in Israel. So hopefully you've gotten to try the lemon water and enjoy the selection of delicious food prepared by our hostel hosts. Why don't we all go wash our plates, cups, and silverware, and let's regroup around that table right over there to discuss where we've been on this tour of Israel and where we're heading to. Okay, so find a comfortable spot, but try not to fall asleep. I know it's been a long day. We just had some great food, and I know that you're tired, but this will just take a little bit. Let's go ahead and talk about last time's stop, which was Qumran. Now, to review, Qumran is a site in the Dead Sea region where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and they are believed to be some of the oldest texts of Hebrew scriptures that we at least know of. Most people know the name of Qumran only because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But remember that we learned that a Jewish sect, the Essenes, actually lived here at Qumran. So that means that they practiced Judaism, but they had kind of a specific denomination of Judaism, you could, you could say. And so to learn more about them, uh, if you want to review, go back and hear what Dr. Magnus had to say about them on our last tour. I mean, she is, after all, the true expert. And then there's the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and and they were preserved quite well when they were finally discovered over a thousand years after they were buried. 
So when I say preserved quite well, to us, that probably means something different because we have untrained eyes, right? So archaeologists or people who are working with artifacts are probably looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls and stunned. Well, I know for a fact that they are. But when I first saw the Dead Sea Scrolls, they looked a, a little rough, <laughs> but they were a prized discovery for archaeology. Part of their preservation is due to the climate in which they were kept. They were placed inside these uh, sealed jars that were then left inside of caves. And the climate up in the Dead Sea region, I'm sure you can now attest to this after being around there for a few days, it's very dry, it's, it's deserty, there's no humidity. And that's actually good because humidity would be very bad for these scrolls and probably end up destroying them over a thousand years ago. So when they were found by, by a shepherd, and remember the story is that ah, he may have just been throwing stones into a cave bored while watching the flocks one day. And when that happened, he heard a jar break, and so he went to check it out. Well, he realized they were actually in great condition, and he, and he got people, and they also realized that. But you have to recognize that the Dead Sea Scrolls are so old, so we're looking at something in great condition for its age. I mean, we have to have some grace for these scrolls that have been protecting the words written on them for over a thousand years. So that's a quick recap of Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I hope that you're starting to get more of a feel for all of this since we've been to Qumran and learned from Dr. Magnus at that site. Also, we went to the Israel Museum and the Shrine of the Book, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept today. So you have been to both the original location where the scrolls were found and also gotten to see what they look like today and where they're kept. On this week's episode of the Virtual Voyage here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, we're actually heading back to the Dead Sea region. We could have stayed up there around Masada. Masada, remember, is King Herod's old winter palace, which was later a fortress for a Jewish remnant. We could have stayed up there around En Gedi, which was that natural oasis where David hid from King Saul, and it inspired many of his psalms. And then, of course, we were up there at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and a spot once inhabited, like I said, by the Essenes, which Dr. Magnus talked about. But instead of staying up there, I decided it would be best to return to Jerusalem for some rest. I think we're all enjoying hostile life anyways, right? The flooding showers are a bit of an ouch. As long as you remember to not do what I did, which is leave my backpack on the floor close to the bathroom where it got soaked when my roommate proceeded to take a shower. As long as you don't do that, you will be fine. But seriously, hostels are pretty awesome. Some of my favorite memories with regard to the people I've met in Israel, some of whom I'm actually still in contact with, are from staying in hostels. I also hope that you've gotten to intermingle a bit with some other groups and hear people's stories. They're awesome. That's one of my favorite things to do. You know, just last night, I met a traveler from Argentina, David, and he was born in Argentina, but he's actually Jewish, and he always wanted to come to Israel, and now he's finally gotten the chance to see his homeland. It's such a beautiful thing, and I, I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to spend a few minutes talking to him about it last night. Stories like that are just floating around this hostel, waiting for you to discover them. Well, let me give some instructions for tomorrow's tour, so we're all prepared for what's ahead. We've been focused on a lot of biblical and historical sites and seeing how they fall into the timeline of really the world. But tomorrow, I think we're going to take a little break from that and maybe have a little more fun for the day. Of course, 
it's so fun going to these biblical and historical sites, but you'll see what I mean in a second. I will say, for any people who don't like science, there will be some science involved, but we're going to make it fun. I'm a bio minor at college, so a little side science is just what I'm here for. So what we're going to be doing is heading to the Dead Sea. And maybe you've seen pictures or videos of people floating in the Dead Sea. Well, tomorrow, that will be you. I'll explain more about the Dead Sea as we end up driving over from Jerusalem tomorrow. For now, listen carefully. Here's what you need to know. Cover up any cuts, even small ones, such as from shaving, with band-aids. And that's going to limit the salt that will get in them because they will sting badly. The Dead Sea is really salty. And you do not want to be in pain all over your body because you have all these little cuts. So ladies, also definitely don't shave tonight or your legs will just burn. Bring some water shoes, always a good thing to have. I'd also recommend a hat and sunglasses. Sunglasses will be nice to have on in the water when you go in because it will protect your eyes from getting a lot of salt in them. Sunscreen's good too. I mean, we'll be out in the sun. We want to make sure we're, we're taking care of our skin here. And then finally, bring a change of clothes and a towel. You're going to want to shower immediately after getting out of the Dead Sea, and you'll need to use the public showers and then go to the changing rooms there. Okay, this is also a super key point. Bring water, and lots of it. I'm sure most of you have used salt to cook before, right? So I'm going to use this analogy. What happens when you add a lot of salt to, uh, let's say, a piece of meat, and then you let it sit in there? It shrivels up, right? The moisture is just going right out of the meat. It's being sucked out. Well, tomorrow the Dead Sea is going to be our brine. Sounds a little weird, but stick with me. The human body, as we all know probably, is, is over half water. So if we're the meat in the brine, I know it sounds so odd, but even if we're just in this salt for five or ten minutes, we're going to have the moisture sucked right out of us. So you're going to want to hydrate well before we get in the water. As we're there on the beaches, and then after too. The Dead Sea is, is a ton of fun, but we have to enjoy it in moderation to be safe. Okay, so those are your instructions. Please follow them. And then meet me down here in the lobby tomorrow at 8 a.m. Our bus driver, Mikael, is going to pick us up then. And he's in a big bus, and he can't wait for very long on those narrow streets. Remember, the streets of Jerusalem are just super old and, and super crowded. And for him to have to be sitting there, he's going to block other people, and then he's going to get frustrated. So let's be respectful and cause him as little stress as possible by being ready. Well, that's it. So enjoy your night, and I'll see you in the morning. Look at this! Everyone is so prompt! It's only 7.55, but I've been doing headcounts as you all have been shuffling in, and I think we have everyone. Great work, guys! I can tell you're excited for our day at the Dead Sea. I see lots of eager faces. So go ahead, out to the street, I'll pick up any stragglers, although I don't think there are any. Congratulations, you guys! Yay, we are all here and ready for today's adventure here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We have about an hour in the bus, so let me tell you a little bit about the Dead Sea and maybe the surrounding region too. Maybe you already know the basic facts. The Dead Sea is the lowest we can get on Earth. It's 1,380 feet below sea level as of right now. And I say as of right now, 
because the Dead Sea is actually drying up, unfortunately. Its height is always changing. The Dead Sea is also not a sea. For some reason, Israel likes to call things seas that are really just big lakes. So the Sea of Galilee is another example of that, right? We say Sea of Galilee, but it's really just this huge lake. The Dead Sea is just a, a pretty big lake. So while it's certainly not a sea, it is fed by the Jordan River. And so that's an interesting fact to, to keep in mind that we have the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called that because nothing can live in it. I mean, there are, as with most things, right, there are a few exceptions, like some extreme halophiles, microorganisms that love salt, and then some algae, but they are as tough as tough comes in terms of organisms. The reason nothing in general can live in it is that it is so, so salty. And you say, Abigail, so salty. Come on, I, I've been in the ocean, that's pretty salty. But no, the Dead Sea is 10 times as salty as seawater. I live uh, on the Atlantic Ocean in South Carolina, and I have always hated the feeling of getting the salty seawater in my eyes. Ugh, I never like it. Can you imagine if it were 10 times saltier? My goodness, it would be awful. So we're going to try to avoid that. I can definitely speak to how bad the saltiness of the Dead Sea is for your eyes. It seems that every time you go there, some tourist always ends up splashing too much or not exercising enough caution and gets salt in their eyes. And then uh, they end up screaming or crying and, and running out and splashing more water in the process. It really is pretty painful for them and also for someone to watch. Ugh. Because the water goes into the Dead Sea from the Jordan River, and can't get out again, the water evaporates. Remember I mentioned that earlier, that the Dead Sea is drying up? Well, it's so hot down here and so very dry. So the concentration of salt and also minerals is just amplified by the evaporation process. But because of the abundance of the salt and minerals, the Dead Sea ends up becoming a spa right? You think of salt, you think of miner minerals, healing properties. It, it really is very healing. And people come from all over to use it as a natural remedy to treat a number of things. I mean, I've heard of the Dead Sea, people coming to the Dead Sea to treat acne, cellulite, arthritis, muscle pains. Um, yeah, other things too that can all just be helped by the Dead Sea. Of course, you're probably wondering about floating in the Dead Sea because I feel like that's what every tourist uh, has in their mind and they, they see pictures of before they go to the location of, of people just floating in the Dead Sea um, with no devices or flotation devices. They're really not even trying to float. The reason being that it's so salty that there's this natural buoyancy from the higher density of salt water. Salt water is going to be more dense than just plain water, right? Plain water just being maybe the tap water you get out of your sink or the water you're in in a pool. And so we just have this natural buoyancy. And you'll get to experience the fun of that in just a few minutes. We're getting a lot closer. And there are a number of beaches you can stop at along the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea, uh, you can stop at any of the shores really, really around this huge lake. But ours that I picked for us today is, it's about 15 minutes away. Oh, here's something cool. Check out what's off there to the left. I don't know, if, can you see that mountain? It doesn't look like some of the real stone mountains that we might see back in America. It's a bit more hmm, white. It's actually a salt mountain formed from the salt deposits all around the Dead Sea. 
Oh my goodness. That reminds me of a, of a fun story. And the reason I'm afraid to take any of you <laughs> up there on that mountain. Uh, I guess it's really not that dangerous. But, um, well, teenage boys can make just about anything dangerous. On our second trip to Israel, our tour guide stopped us along here to show us a salt pillar. And the significance of that pillar is that many say it is Lot's wife. Do you remember her? She was the lady who disobeyed God's order to not look back upon Sodom and Gomorrah. She was running with her family, remember, away from the cities uh, that were being destroyed by God and his judgment. But as she was running with her family, being, being Lot and children, she looked back upon the wicked cities that were being burned to the ground. And the Bible says that for that disobedience, she was turned into a pillar of salt. We'll have to discuss the story more, but that's just to kind of get your get your minds thinking about it. So now your wheels are probably churning because for this pillar to be Lot's wife, this area would need to be Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll make a stop along here at some point to see the pillar in farther detail. But for now, the short answer is that this area may actually indeed be Sodom and Gomorrah. We can actually find these sulfur balls around this area. That would be the brimstone from the fire and brimstone raining down, discussed in the Bible. And that was God's way of, of destroying the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So maybe on our way back from the Dead Sea, we can stop at that pillar. You can't see it from here. We saw the mountain, right? But there's also the pillar I'm reminded of. And we can discuss that story in farther detail. Anyways, uh, oh, oh, right, my story. So our tour guide stopped us at this salt pillar and everyone was fascinated. So he asked if we wanted to go see an entire mountain made of salt. And that's the, the whitish one I pointed out to you that you can sort of see in the distance. Actually, we're coming around a bend right now. So when we come around this bend, you'll see it again. So we were all very excited to stop and hike up it. I mean, salt is something you add to your meat to make it taste better. But who would ever think that a whole mountain of salt deposits could stand with some height and actually be hikeable? Nevertheless, uh, we started to hike it up, and it was so cool. The mountain was soft for a mountain. Uh, you could bend over and just tear off small pieces of the mountain. And, and by small, I mean, I mean pretty small. The thing is a pretty big mountain, and my family wasn't going to be able to destroy it in one hike if you're concerned. The point is that it was weird because normally you can't reach into a stone mountain and just tear off a piece. The best you can do is find these loose stones on your hiking path. So... My brother, who was 16 at the time, decides that he's invincible, of course. The mountain appears to be soft, so he decides to have me video him for a karate commercial for the studio he attends back home. So I get my camera out. I think my parents are, are back a little ways. So anyways, he goes into a little speech on camera about how taking karate lessons will make you be able to do this. And then he punches the mountain. Repeatedly. Yes, my brother punched a mountain. With 100% of his force, uh, he thought it would be soft and able to be punched right through. But he learned the hard way. That was not the case. He broke his hand doing that. Uh, although it wasn't a horrible break and he actually hid it from all of us for the rest of the trip until my mother realized he was kind of still being gentle with his hand and, and took him to the doctor back home. When the doctor asked, uh, Sonny, what did you do here? I'm told my brother responded, I punched a mountain. And ever since that experience, I have never taken a tour group up that mountain. But you all are a special group, so maybe I'll make an exception if you want to see it. Look at this. 
here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, Mikiel is pulling up to park the bus here in the parking lot at the Dead Sea. Everyone grab your bags and let's head off for some fun. Let's go ahead and take this shady spot. We got here pretty early, which is good because it's before a lot of the other groups will get here. You'll notice there are a number of hotels around and a good number of people will come to the Dead Sea, stay in a spa hotel, and then never see any of the other parts of Israel. That's how popular the Dead Sea is, even though it's kind of crazy to me that you would just go for the Dead Sea. Anyways, we're out here before a lot of these guests have probably gotten up since it's only about 9 a.m. And then there are other tourists that will come, but I did try and pick a beach that isn't as popular as some of the others in terms of large groups coming. There's nothing wrong with this beach over the others. It just happens to be one that large groups tend not to drop by. It's great for us. So I know there have been a lot of instructions, but we have to go through a few more before you head in. You can put on your sunscreen and whatnot while I'm talking and drink some water. But here's what you need to take, uh, take into account. You need to be a little careful when going into the water. Don't splash. Move slowly. If you get the salt water in, in your face or someone else's, that's not good. We don't want it in their eyes. It will sting for the rest of the day. There's no rush. We have plenty of time here, so just take your time. Once you get out a little into the water and you feel comfortable, try turning on your back and floating. It's such a cool experience and feels unlike anything else you've ever tried. I, I wouldn't float on your stomach for fear of water in your face, but just walk in, let your legs lift up, and your body will naturally turn on its back, and then you'll just float and keep your head out of the water and enjoy it. Make sure to time yourselves for how much time you've actually spent in the water. Only spend about 15 minutes max in the water before taking a break. Then you need to come out for about that amount of time, drink water, and then you can go back in. Please just don't stay out for an hour. The salt content is so high, it's going to suck the moisture right out of you. But we can do it in nice little sections. We'll stay for as long as you'd like, and then we'll re regroup, and then we'll shower. And I mean really, really shower. You're going to shower like you've never showered before. You cannot leave all that salt in your body. That would be really bad. So anyways, we'll head over to the public outdoor showers, and then you'll go change into your new clothes. So that's it for now. I'm going to leave you to enjoy the Dead Sea. So head on out and enjoy the sensation of floating. Wow, everyone is doing such a great job at being careful and floating well. Isn't this fun? Israel has so much to offer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue to explore the land of Israel and all its offerings.